just thank you for uh, raising up a, a servant of your word and, and Leon. Lord, we thank you that uh, you've given him to this church, uh, first as a member and then as a deacon. And Lord, we do just ask that as you uh, um, speak to us now through your word and speak to us uh, through this uh, confession, even insofar as it represents your word, and as you speak to us through your servant, we ask that you give him special grace uh, to be able to speak clearly and give us special grace to understand uh, what is being taught. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is a privilege to me to uh, stand here and uh, do this uh, Bible study. I don't take that lightly, uh, take it seriously. It's a joy for me uh, to share God's Word. Uh, I love God's words. I have passion uh, for God's Word. and uh, I've been reading and studying this, this book for almost 30 years now. And right now, I can tell you, I just feels as if I just scratched the surface. So, especially when I become reformed, I'm telling you, the uh, understanding of the, of the reformed uh, belief to approach the scripture and look at it from a reformed perspective, it makes the Bible as a whole new Bible to me. And it makes me even more loving the Bible and, and feel like I haven't enough of the Bible. It's just, a, it's just amazing thing. Uh, when I become reformed. I, I'm grateful for God for that. Uh, as as uh, Pastor Ian was, uh, was uh, said earlier, we continue our uh, Sunday school. I'm, I'm, I'm carrying on on the... Uh, on our confession, we are 1689 uh, London uh, uh, Confession. So, <clears throat> this is what we're going to look at that today. And it happened by God's providence that chapter 9 is about free will. So, uh, before we, we, we uh, go on to, uh, to this, uh, this uh, topic, I, I want you to know something about systematic theology and biblical theology. So, biblical theology or biblical teaching is where we find the teaching or the doctrine in the Bible, throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So systematic theology, we take those truths and systematizing it, put it in the category, so we can easily understand it. Okay? And it's helpful for your interpretation of scripture. And it becomes like a wall to keep you inside you know, the scripture, so you don't go far from or out of the, of the perimeter of the scripture. Especially the reform systematic theology as a as, as a way to look at the scripture. So I just want you to keep that in mind. Uh, the the, the reform theology, I believe, is the exposition of scripture. That's why it never destroyed. It cannot go away because it's the, it is the exposition of scripture or the teaching of scripture. So my my aim today to take you to the scripture or you know what, what I'm going trying to do to take you to the scripture and show it to you. So you can see it and understand it. Because in order for you to grow and become mature and be fruitful in your relationship with the Lord, you must be rooted in the scripture and grounded in the scripture. Because I'm telling you, the reformed teaching or the reformed belief is a robust 
uh, believe. It's, it's, it's deep. If you don't careful, if you only learn it from reading books about it, theologian, reformed theologian, and here people like RC and those reformed people in YouTube, you know, it have a tendency to make you prideful, like they puff you up. But the teaching is supposed to make you humble. So I believe when you see it in scripture, there, there, there's, there's a, a power in there, it's authority that it can transform you, it can humble you when you see it in scripture. And that's what I'm trying to do here, uh, to take you to the scripture. So there are a phrase or there's a term we use in the systematic theology, like reform uh, systematic theology. It's not found in scripture, like the word Trinity, right? It's not in scripture, it's an unbiblical term. But the concept or the idea is biblical, it's rooted in scripture. So I want you to keep that in mind, because what we're going to talk about today is free will. You can't find it in scripture, the word free will. But the idea is there, the concept is there. So I, I want you to look at your, uh, sorry, sorry, uh, you don't have the confession with you. Uh, I'll read it to you. Uh, we, we have in chapter 9, in our confession, the free will, of free will. Now, the question here, do we have free will? Is man will free? What do you think? Besides uh, Ian and uh, Philip, I want you guys to uh, just hear it. Yes or no? Or I can just pick a name in uh, <laughs> So what do you think? Do we have free will? Because this is one of the objections from non-Calvinists. When we say God predestined those whom he chosen, you know, elected from before the foundation to salvation, their response is always, but we have free will. So what does it mean from, from a reformed perspective? What, when we say man doesn't have free will, what we mean by that? So what do you think? Do we have free will? Yes or no? Yes? Do we have free will? Are you sure? What about if you say no? Yeah, who say can say no? Yeah, no. yeah yes and no. <laughs> so we, we, we have we, we have in our in our in our in the chapter five uh, paragraph four of them refer to the state of man, you know, with his will. So the fourth state there is man in the state of innocence. So there's only two people is to leave that that state, who's Adam and Eve, and the second state. Man by his fall in the state of sin. This is where all humanity are now. All unbelievers in the state of sin. And the third state, man in the state of grace, after conversion. And the last one, man in the state of glory, when we get to heaven. So, the Tiffany, I'll, 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 I'll read it. You can see it from the confessional. Uh, this is the state of innocence. It says the state of innocence had freedom and power to will and to do what was good and well-pleasing to God. Nevertheless, he was subject to subject to change or capable of change, so that he that he might fall from this state. So, in other words, man, man, Adam had a a neutral will. Okay, it can go either way. He has the capacity to please God. To obey God, to love God, to serve God, but he also have a capacity to disobey God. So it was in the, it was his will was neutral. 
But this is the idea that some people think we are, that we, our, our, our will is not that bad, it's not that good, it's in the middle, it's neutral. But here, we see that and we prove from the scripture, the only time man has a neutral, his will was neutral, is Adam and Eve in the state of innocence, before the fall. Now, when he fall from that state of innocence, because we know what happened, now we fall into the state of sin. And here's what the confession says, and this is what we refer to, that man doesn't have free will. Your will is not free. Now, I know it's tricky to uh, think about what, what? I'm choosing every day. I make my choice every day. Yes, you're free to choose. Every day we, we practice, we exercise, and we are a free moral agent. We are a responsible moral agent. We choose every day. We choose every day. You choose whatever. You choose it. But your will is motivated or is, 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 is moved by something. Do you get it? By something. Here, let me read the, 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 the confessing, uh, what they say about the state of man in sin. Man, by his fall into a state of sin, has complete loss all ability of will to accomplish any spirit of good with accompanies salvation. Therefore, a natural man being altogether averse or actively opposed to spirit of good and dead in sin, he is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself for conversion. This is what I'm going to focus today, the state of man in sin. Here, what the confession is saying is, we don't have the ability, we don't have the desire to come to God in salvation. And not only that, we don't have the ability or the desire or, or able to please God, right? To obey God the way God wants us to be. We don't have that because of the fall, because of the, of, of the rule of the fall. So, I want you to go to John chapter 6. I will show it to you. This is a, 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 a familiar a verses. Remember, this is what we refer to when we say man doesn't have free will. Okay? Because your will is in something. It's, it's, it's controlled by something. You're, you're, you're free to choose whatever you want it to do. But it's only according to what your nature is. Yeah? And then, and then we believe, according here to the scripture, you have no ability or desire to come to God or come to Jesus, to believe and to repent. Can someone read uh, uh, John uh, chapter 6, verse, 40, verse 44? Verse 44? John chapter 6, verse 44. The Jews then complained by 44 brother? Yes. Fine. Right, so no one can come to me. Yeah, unless the Father has sent me to him. Did you hear that? No one can come to me. 
no one can. That word can indicate ability, right? You have no ability <laughs> to come to Jesus, to refer to salvation. These people, these Jews here, had a conversation with Jesus, back and forth. Jesus tried to say to them, I am the Messiah. Look what I got. And, and all of that, they still don't get it. Jesus said, you're seeing it, but you don't believe it. You hear it, but don't believe it. And then he made that statement. The reason, because you have no ability to come to me. Unless, that's the word, is important. That's indicate a necessary condition. In order for you to come to Jesus, there is something need to happen in order for you to come. And what is it? Draw us by the Father. This is the effectual call. This is the next uh, chapter in our confession. Effectual call. Unless the Father draws you. In verse 65 of the same chapter, And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father, given by the Father. And after that, many of people who follow him, they say they no longer walk with him. And Jesus said to his disciples, the dwarf, are you, are you going to go away too? And we know Peter's uh, statement, you know, you, you the one has the word of life. We believe you. So, these people did not believe. They heard it, they seen it, but because they are not able to come, they don't have the ability. Now, in Romans chapter 8, I want you to go there, Romans chapter 8. We're going to go through a lot of scripture. This is a Bible study. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit the things of the spirits. You know, before I become reformed, I always read this uh, portion of scripture. I always believe that it's referred to the believers, but those who walk in the flesh and those who walk in the spirit, right? But we'll see here, that's not, that's not what Paul is, is talking about here. He's only talking about believers and non-believers. And, and, and non non because he said in next verse 6, for, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. Is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And how do we know that, that Paul is referring to the unbelievers here? Because verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact... The Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Do you see? Unbeliever is, it doesn't have the ability to obey God or submit to God's law. Even willing, they don't have that. For the simple reason, unbelievers are spiritually dead. We know all unbelievers are spiritually dead. Because we know from uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 it tells us that you were dead in the, in the trespass and, and sin so all unbelievers are dead dead spiritually but you are alive in sin, you live in sin you can't live in sin and live in God 
you know, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, work that way. So unbelievers are dead in their sin. What I remember, Steve Lawson, he was talking about in a seminary when he still struggled with the reform uh, idea of free will, right? And uh, the professor asked the question. He asked him, "What can dead men do?" And, uh, and it was silent in the, in, the, in the room. And someone from the back of the room yelling out, "Yell out, sting!" <laughs> what can dead men do? He yelled, "Sting!" What can dead men do? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing. That's why the Bible is talking about man doesn't have ears to hear God, doesn't have the eyes to see it. It doesn't matter what you try to do to the dead man, he will never respond. We know that, right? Even if you poke that person, that dead person, it's not going to respond. It's completely dead. He has no sense anywhere and it's dead. Nothing in that dead person you know, will, will, will respond to whatever else from outside of him. So this is what the idea here. In First Corinthians chapter two, verse fourteen, uh, let, let's go there quickly. Say the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God. Why? First Corinthians chapter two, verse fourteen. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish or folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Spiritually discerned. You have to be alive in order for you to discern that. The, the thing of God in the Spirit. Everything, the gospel, the obeyer, is all in the Spirit. What, he, what Paul is saying here, he divides humanity into two classes. It's natural and spiritual. Those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. In chapter 1, we know he said the reason why the message of the cross is offensive to the Jews and the Gentiles or the, the Greek because they are perished. They are dead spiritually. And, and we will, we will uh, uh, when we come to the effectual goal, Paul tells us in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 why those who are able to believe and say it's because they are called. Again, effectual call. You see, that's the only people who are able to accept the gospel. Those who are called or drawn by the Father and give them to Jesus. Now, let's, ask, let, let's go back. Let's go back to the beginning where, where the fall of man. We will see here why we don't have free will. Why our will is bound to our nature. We'll go to Romans chapter 5. I don't know if you ever heard that term, original sin. Yeah? Original sin is a reform term, total depravity. I know there are some people who misunderstood that, 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 that meaning of that term, original sin. They, they think it means that, that, that it refers to the first sin that Adam committed. It sounds like that, right? But that's not what it means. So I want you to look at Romans chapter 5. Because here I'm going to read to you the, 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 what the R.C. Sproul said. I'll quote. The doctrine of original sin defined the consequences to the human race. To the human race. The consequences to the human race 
because of that first sin that Adam committed. So the original sin is referred to what is affect Adam's descendant or Adam's uh, posterity or, or the rest of, man, of mankind. This is what is referred to the original sin. So chapter 5 verse 12. I want you to look at it. By the way, verse 12 to the end of the chapter, this is the doctrine of imputation. Paul here bring Adam and Jesus and contrast them. Did you know that God only recognized two people? Only Adam and Jesus. Because the, the rest of mankind, you either be in Adam or you in Christ. So here, Paul here teach us or show us what is the, the, the idea of imputation. It was counted to us. It was credited to you. It was put into your account. Someone else works. The result of his acting or action or whatever is counted to you or is imputed to you. If you don't believe this, the federal headship here is referring to and the representative, then you don't understand that the, the work of Christ was imputed to us. So we'll see here. Verse 12. This is what we refer to original sin. It's the consequences of the fall or the sin of Adam. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. You see that? Sin came to the world through one man, and death through sin. So death spread to all men, because all sin, the last phrase, all sin, indicate that we were sin with Adam, right? We were sin with Adam when Adam fall. If you look at verse 15 all the way to verse 19, I'm gonna go through real quick to show you what happened to us as a result of Adam's first sin. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many die through one man trespass, you see that? Because of one man, trespass we all die verse 16 and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation verse uh, 18 therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men Verse 19, for as by one man disobedient, the many were made sinner. And I want you to look at verse 21. So there is sin reign in death. When did you become a sinner? You know? When did you become a sinner? When you commit your first sin? If your answer is yes, do you remember that when you commit your first sin? So when did you become a sinner? Eh? What? Okay, but when did you become a sinner? Yes. When Adam sinned. All of us were there. If you follow what I just read, in the flow of Paul's thought, we were all guilty. We were already judged by God in Adam. And we are condemned with Adam. 
You see, that's why David said, well, I was conceived in sin. I mean, I was born into sin. And my father, my mother, sorry, my mother conceived me in sin. So all of us were already guilty and condemned in Adam. And we already are sinner because we see it here. So whatever Adam did affect all of us. God imputed his guilt on us and we inherit the sin nature from Adam. I, I want you to understand the sin that is counted to us and the sin nature and all of that, what happened to us, it was imputed by God through judgment on, on Adam, you know, and on us too. Because remember, Adam is our federal head. It's very important. If you don't believe, you must believe the federal headship of Adam. He is the head of human race. And not only that, he was the uh, 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 representative of human race. Because you might say, it's not fair that someone else, like Adam, what he did, and, and, and I'm guilty because of what he did. I wasn't there. I might make a different decision. No, you're wrong. What Adam did, if you were there, you commit the same thing. That's what I mean. He was our representative. He acted on our behalf. I know you, you might say, no, 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 if I were there, I probably did something different. No, the Bible cannot be wrong. He's our representative. He acted as we, we were with him. It's, it's you. You, you. you disobey God. And this is the, 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 the rune of the fall, the original sin. We sing in here. And, and notice this word I, I just read here, I say, sin reign. Through death. Sin reign. So what does it mean? Sin reign. Where is sin in us? Where sin reign? Where it take place? Where his res uh, take resident in us? Where? In the heart. In the heart. So that means he is king. He take over. You become his subject. Become a slave to sin. When he says sin reign, it means that he reigns over you. He's not forcing you. He is your covering principle, your, your authority. He's in your heart. Your nature is your heart. Where the issue of life comes from. You know these uh, verses I just read it. I know I didn't read what Jesus done. You know there's one of the good uh, verses to defend the security of the believer. Why we cannot lose our salvation. Because it was imputed to us the righteousness of Christ. Your reign all the way to eternal life. Same thing with sin. No one ever say, oh, I'm a child of being sinned, I'm no longer being a sinner. No, you can't get rid of that. You only need to be delivered from it by Christ. So, here we see that, 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 that men are slaves to sin. What, what Jesus said to the Pharisee. Okay, I want you to go to John uh, chapter 10. Sorry, chapter 8. I don't mind if you uh, interrupted me and ask questions. If you, if you need uh, uh, to clarify something, or this is a Bible study. I don't want to make you more confused than understanding. Uh. So, verse 31. John chapter 8, verse 20, 31. So, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answer him, we are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone, was a lie. How is that you say you will become free? But hear what Jesus says in verse 34. 
Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. It is a slave to sin. So whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. The reason why you sin, because you are a sinner. You are controlled by sin. Your nature is under sin. And we, and we know in Romans chapter 6, verse 20, Paul makes a statement, for, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Now because of original sin, let's just talk about it. Now here comes the idea of total depravity. You, you heard it too, right? Total depravity. That is a reform term too. Total depravity. I, now, now I know the, 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 the word, the phrase, kind of deceives so many people to think when we say total, you know, it means like completely, you know. So that's why some reform chose a different phrase, like total inability or complete uh, radical corruption. I think some people use that word because the idea can be mis mis misled some people to think or assume they mean that men are, you know, the, 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 that we are as evil or as bad as we possibly can be. But that's not what we refer to here. What, what we're saying is that the, 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 the means here is the fall was so serious that it affects the whole person. The whole person has been infected by the power of sin. Every area of man, every faculty of man, within him and without him, is affected or corrupted by sin. That's what it means, total depravity. A state of corruption due to original sin. Now, we go to Romans chapter 3. We'll, we'll, we'll finish with that. Romans chapter 3. Verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? Question. No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Under sin. That, that phrase there is important. Because what Paul is saying here, we already charge both Jews and, and Gentiles. Talk about, he referred to chapter 1 and, and, and chapter 2. Because here, in, in this chapter, what Paul is doing here, he indicts the whole human race. It, so he is, men are on trials before a heavenly tribunal, right? God is the judge. It, that's what he look at us. This is from God's perspective. That's how God look at human race. Paul proved that Gentiles who think they are off the hook, they are not going to be accountable to God because we didn't have the laws of God, we didn't have the truth, we didn't have, you know, he didn't send Jesus to us, we don't know, we, we are alright because we have an excuse, that's where Paul made that statement, you are without excuse, because God revealed himself through the nature, through the, sorry, through the creation, and chapter 2, the Jews think they are alright with God because they have the law, they, 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 they have the circumcision and all of that, covenant and Paul saying no, you're not, because the Jew is not outwardly, it's inward. Circumcised is not physical, it's of the heart. So they both killed it. And that's what Paul is referring to. We already charged that all, both Jew and Gentiles, are 
under sin. Think about it. Under you are under something. Something is on the top of you. It's, it's controlling you. It's pressing you down. It's overwhelming you. You can't get rid of it. You are under it. So the important is under sin. And then Paul, as it is written, he going to quote uh, from New Te- uh, sorry, Old Testament uh, to prove his point. And then he start with verse 10, 11, and 12. Is referred to sinful nature. Man's nature is sinful. Our heart. Sin is reign in the heart. And he said, it is written, none is righteous. None is, not, none is righteous. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. You see, no one understands. Our mind is corrupted. Our mind is darkened by sin. You're in darkness. You can't see the light. Because your mind is, in, is part of your nature. Your nature is covering you. It's controlling your mind. And only then, no one seeks for God. It's referred to the will of men. Here you go. Here you go. The wills of men. No one seeks God. When you say no one means everyone. No one seeks for God. So we don't see God. What we do? All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. So good here means spiritually good. Remember, we have some natural good. We can, we have a moral laws of God in our heart. We know what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is what is bad. So we can do good things. Unbeliever can do that. Perform that. Love your neighbor. Give to your someone is poor or sick or whatever. You you move. You you want help. All of that is is as a natural good that we can we can perform. We have the ability, but our heart is not for God. We don't do it because we love God. We don't do it because we want to please God. We don't do it because we want to glorify God. Because for the believer, the Bible says, everything we do, we do it for the glory of God. Because we love God. We have that capacity. We have that, that desire. Unbeliever don't have that. That's what Paul says here. No one does good. And that's why we say the man doesn't have a, a, a will, desire, ability to please God in his state of falling or sin. Unbeliever cannot do that. They won't able. We see it in Romans chapter 8. Man, man is hostile to God. They hate God. And now verse 13 to verse 14 is referred to the sinful tongue. Because of the heart. The heart is evil. The heart is darkened. Every issue of life, it comes out from, from the heart. Yeah. Remember Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful about all things. And he say, and desperately wicked or sick. I like the NIV, beyond cure. And then he followed with the question, the same verse. Who can know it or who can understand it? This is a rhetorical question. It don't need an answer. It's a statement of fact. I know this because I experience it most of the time when my wife look at me and say, are you going to wear that? He make a statement. <laughs> I get it. Please don't wear that, right? That's what she tried to say. So this is a, a, a rhetorical question. Paul used it in all his writing. Who can know it? See, we don't have the ability to understand how bad we are, how evil we are. Why? Because we don't know how holy God is. 
But you can see in, in the fall of men, uh, speak volume to the, to the holiness of God and the justice of God. The one act of Adam, not only separated from God, kick him out from, from the presence of God, rule him forever, but the rest of us, only one act, he just took a bite. He did not commit adultery, he did not rob a bank or, or kill someone, just took the bite. But you, you see, it speaks volume to the holiness of God, to the justice of God. We don't know how holy God is. That's why we will never understand how sinful we are. But here, Jeremiah, God through Jeremiah, make their uh, rhetorical question. Who can know it? Who can understand it? Only God. He said, I the Lord, says the heart. Only God knows it. And Jesus said in the gospel, in Mark chapter 7, verse 21, For from within the hearts of men come evil thoughts, so, out from the nature of man, the sinfulness of the heart, where is your life, the acting of man, the, the way you are is based on your nature. So this is what I said earlier, you're, you're free to choose whatever you want to do, but it's only according to what your nature is. It dictates to you. You move by it. It's not free. So, verse 13 to 14 refer to, to sinful tongues. This is what happened. Look at that. This is a gross uh, illustration that Paul using here. Their, their throat is an open grave. Their throat is an open grave. We know whoever died, you know, we put it in the grave to seal it so we don't see it and smell it, right? Imagine a, a, a dead corpse somewhere. It's not buried or... Imagine that. But here, the picture here Paul using, this is our heart is open through what you're saying. Your word. You know, the Jesus say, out from the abundance of your heart, then speak. You know, the good man or the, or the sad person, bring out the good treasure from his heart. The evil or unbeliever person, bring the evil from his heart. So you speak what is in your heart. You know, the saying that you know a person, but what they say is true. When you, when you spend time with a person, you will know that person by what he say. It's true. You know them by their fruit. And Jesus used that, that illustration. The bad tree can only bear bad fruit. And the good tree can only bear good fruit. So here we say, from open grave. Open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Talk about a snake, the radical snake. Our mouth, our word can be like that. Poison, because he said their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And then verse 15 to 17 is referred to sinful act. And he goes on to say, Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their path are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. You see, it's affected every area of man's life. From the top of his head to the sole of his feet. Even his heart, his mind, you know, his hand, his feet. They say they are, their feet swift or quick to shed blood. In their path are ruin and misery. And the way of peace, they have not known. What is wrong with our world today? We see it everywhere. If you turn around, news and we've seen that everywhere. It's because of the thought of the brave, the depravity. Man in every area of his life is depraved. His tongue, I mean, start from his heart, from his tongue, uh, from his uh, feet, I mean, action, all of that. 
And the last one, he said, verse 18, the reason for all of it, there is no fear of God before the eyes. You don't fear of offending a holy God. You don't fear of violating God's law. In fact, they fight against God. They rebel. They think they can, they can defeat God. You know? You know, verse 19, now we are all guilty. The laws already spoke or speak to those who are under the law, all of us, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So every hand put in their mouth, we are guilty. No one has a right or can be, can be stand not guilty before God. All of them put us under the condemnation of the laws. We violate God's law willingly and we are under curse of the law. So that's why unbelievers cannot please God. They don't fear God. Believers fear God. I know sometimes we try to don't make it like, oh no, we don't fear God. It's not about we try to uh, adjust it. The idea of the fear of God means you fear of offensive a holy God. I don't know about you, but most of the time, I fear God. I don't want to sin because I don't want to offense God. I know I'm not going to go to hell. But when you sin, it is a serious crime. You don't want to entertain this, oh, I'm under grace. You know, you can sin and uh, God's grace cover it all. Because some people think that God's grace is the blessing of God on their sin. Now, I want to draw the, uh, to a closing here, the application here. For you as a believer, when you see it and understand it, it can only humble you, realizing it, you did not make the decision on your own. You did not come to God on your own, choose Christ. It was God's grace was extended to you. It was God's grace that drew you, granted you the faith to believe and repent it, turn from your sin. It should humble you. And so overwhelm you with joy and gratitude for the grace of God. But there's also, when we look at unbelievers, our loved ones, you know, our relatives, our friends, you know them, they are still in the state of sin. They're still not accepting Christ, not accepting the call of the gospel. We should be grieved and mourned, just like their dead loved ones. We grieve and mourn that they are lost. Because you gotta realize it where they are. If they die now, what they're going to face. We should grieve and mourn. A healthy one to look at them and start grieving and mourn over their, their loss. I remember when I lost uh, two of my sisters, almost like two months apart. First one I knew was, was a Christian, as far as I'm concerned. I said when he, she, she dies, no longer with us. But the, the second one is younger than me. I know for sure she wasn't a believer. I was grieved, even to this day when I thought about her, you know, that she died without Christ. So that should make us pray. Pray for those that we love and care. Pray for them. That's the only thing they can do. And not only that, we should warn them. We should warn them. Warn them of what they're heading for. They're heading to destruction. They're heading to ruin forever. You know, we say here, the thought of depravity doesn't mean we can sin as much as you want to. You know when a sinner in hell, you know what happened to the sinner? You will do that there. Because God removed all the restrictions that He restrained us in our sinful nature. That's where man fully experiences sin. 
sin as much as you can. That's why the punishment of hell will never catch up to their crime. Who say you stop sinning when you die? The Bible doesn't say that. The same thing as us, we die as righteous people, we are still righteous because we are in a state. So any question? Any question? Any something that I need to clarify? I hope I make you make it clear or, or, or I'm afraid that I make it more confused to you. Do you have a question? Ian is here to answer and Philip. You all clean? Okay. Let's pray. Oh, our gracious and heavenly Father, as we look at the scripture and understand the state of man, all of us, we were once dead in our sins and trespasses, Lord. You have mercy on us. By your great mercy, you save us, Lord. You draw us, you granted to us the faith to, re to believe in Christ and the repentant heart to hate our sin and turn from it and run to you, Lord. It was all your doing, Lord. There's nothing that we can take credit for it. There's nothing we distribute to our salvation. It was wholly entirely is your work, Lord, from the beginning to the end. Lord, although we are in this state, we are not able to come to you in our own, yet we are held responsible for rejecting Christ, for willingly, continually sin against you and, and hold to our sinful lifestyle. Lord, we know that your holiness and your justice will never low down. Your standard is high, so high, Lord. But we, know, we also know that you provide to us perfect righteousness that we need to be acceptable on your side. You provided to us through Christ. That's what the gospel is all about. The good news that you accomplish salvation in Christ for our, for our stand, in our behalf. Christ died in our place. He took the punishment of our sin. He redeemed us. Now he's able to deliver anyone who look to him and believe in him and surrender to him and throw himself at your mercy. Oh Lord our God, I pray, Father, as, as a believers that you will help us to rejoice and overwhelm with gratitude for what you have done to us, Lord. And I also pray for those of us here is not so sure, haven't uh, come to understand, to experience the assurance of salvation, the peace that only comes through the gospel with you, Lord, and, and stand in grace and, and have the hope of the glory of God and rejoice in it, Lord. I pray that you will draw them to you, Lord. Maybe this is the day, Lord, that you open their heart and let them see their need of the gospel, their need of deliverance, to deliver from the misery of sin and killed of sin, where we are bound to it, Lord. We are enslaved by it. Lord, I pray, Father, that you will do that for the glory of your Son, the glory of his gospel, and then we all rejoice in there, Lord. We thank you. I pray that you will help us in the rest of our service, our worship, that you will offer to you what you demand from us, that you will help us to worship you and praise you, Lord, in the, in, in the spirit and the truth, Lord. 
and prepare our heart to receive your word, Lord. Let the Lord's table be a reminder and encourage to our faith, Lord, and a fruitful fellowship after the service, Lord. May you be honored, may you be glorified among us today, Lord. We thank you for all your goodness and your kindness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.